Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. So why didn't the 49ers draft Patrick Mahomes when they had the chance? And is quarterback Jimmy Garoppolo being overlooked as a possible star in Super Bowl 54? Are the Tampa Bay Lightning resorting back to their bad habits like they did in the overtime loss to Dallas? We'll talk to Diana Neros, who covers the Lightning for the Tampa Bay Times, on this edition of Sports Day Tampa Bay. I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times, along with producer Steve Versnick. I'm down here at the Super Bowl, of course, 54 in Miami. Boy, let me just tell you, folks, as you uh, come down here, be ready to sit in traffic for a while as I-95 continues to get clogged up. But um, some interesting interviews. You know, it's interesting to see these teams sort of progress through the week. I will say this, that these are two of the more uh, entertaining personalities. Uh, lots lots of, uh, of flavor on both these teams. I think both of them... You know, as I do more and more of these Super Bowls, very often you'll see one team that seems a little on edge, seems a little uptight. Uh, and and you know, when the when the Philadelphia Eagles won their Super Bowl, for example, I sort of felt they were way more at ease, uh, way more confident. Uh, of course, it was you know the Philly special in a great game, uh, you know, to beat uh, the New England Patriots. But uh, nonetheless, uh, you kind of got that sense. This week, I really can't detect tightness anywhere. I think Andy Reid has done a really good job. Of course, he's been in this game 15 years ago. This is his third Super Bowl win as an assistant coach with Green Bay uh, one time. Um, but the players are, are you know, approaching this the way you should. They're enjoying it. Uh, you know, there's a lot of media. There's a lot of media sessions, a lot of the same questions, and no one's really gotten um, you know, too uptight at this point. But it was interesting in uh, talking you know, to Mike Shanahan on, uh, on Tuesday uh, about you know, hey, why didn't the 49ers draft Pat Mahomes? I mean, we know that the Chicago Bears, of course, you know, uh, probably wish they had a do-over when when uh, they moved up and got Mitch Trubisky. And there's been a lot of other teams that overlooked him, and he went 10th overall to the Kansas City Chiefs, um, sat on a bench a year behind Alex Smith, which, you know, Mahomes continues to give lots of credit to Smith uh, for really bringing him in his circle. And Andy Reid said on Tuesday that, uh, you know, that, Really, Mahomes couldn't pay Smith enough money uh, for what he was willing to share because that's not always the case with an incumbent quarterback, and and they've just drafted a guy in the first round to take your job. But Alex Smith was, uh, you know, was very uh, giving to Pat Mahomes in that sense. Uh, but you know, Shanahan, you know, sort of related this story that yes, the San Francisco Forty ers were in a position to draft Mahomes, but when you did the work on him. Um, you know, I suppose there might have been some teams that had him rated higher, but he didn't go higher than 10th, uh, and, and the Chiefs, you know, kind of moved in there to get him. Uh, but there was a lot – there was some risk, too. I mean, he was he's a flashy athlete, um, you know, baseball player predominantly throughout most of his life, but, uh, you know, took some chances with the football. Uh, you could see his creativity. You could see his athleticism. You could see a lot of those things. But – you know, in, in that offense at Texas Tech, not really sure sort of how it would translate. You know, those guys have not had not been under center 
Um, and, and where the 49ers were picking, you know, in the top three or whatever it was, uh, you know, that's that's a little bit more of a risk, right? I mean, there wasn't – what the NFL draft has become is a, consen- it's a consensus league. So if you can build consensus that one of these three guys are, are, are you know, surefire, any, any team would take them in the top three spots – that's what you're looking to do. Those are the athletes you're like looking to take there. Joe Burrow is going to go number one, whether Cincinnati takes the pick or not. Um, that seems to be the consensus about this draft based on the position and his ability. So I, I don't know that there was a consensus that Mahomes should go that high, but it's interesting that you know they're playing a guy that they absolutely could have taken, and had they done so, and I think they took, uh, I want to say Solomon Thomas might have been the guy they got that year. I have to check on that. Another defensive lineman. But had they done that, then they wouldn't have necessitated the trade for Jimmy Garoppolo. Um, but as it turns out, they only had to give up a second-round pick for Garoppolo, which I still maintain is one of the better giveaways, intentionally maybe so, by Bill Belichick of any player I've ever seen. Um, because Belichick, I think, absolutely was – almost prepared to move on without Brady and, and, and he had found his guy in Garoppolo, but Bob Kraft wasn't having it. You know, Tom Brady was going to be his quarterback as long as Tom Brady was, was breathing. And so I think Belichick at that point was like, okay, well let's get what we can. I'm not going to hold anybody up and, and gave him, you know, gave him to the 49ers for a second round pick. But I think Steve, that the people are, you know, because of the last game and the fact that Garoppolo only attempted seven passes, I think people are forgetting that this guy can carve you up, you know. Um, if you overplay the run and they run a lot of run action and stuff like this, it wasn't that long ago that the San Francisco 49ers had a critical game, as they did all the last month of December, in New Orleans against the Saints and a Drew Brees who was very hot at the time. And they went in there and beat them something like 48-46 or some, some score fest, right? And we all remember... Uh, uh, you know Kittle and some of the, the some of the you know runs after the catch that he made in that game, but Garoppolo was terrific, and I I think the 49ers have somebody who's extremely capable of of getting it done through the air. He just hasn't had to, uh, and and that's you know that's something I think that the Chiefs defense has to be aware of. That hey you you put commit too many resources to this run game, and he's going to get the ball out and he can hurt you. Yeah, I mean, you know, the seven pass attempts was not because they didn't want him to throw the ball. They had a lead, and the running game was working. I know, but there's sort of this narrative. It's funny because I think, and I don't know who they are, but I think there is sort of a of a narrative out there that says, you know, well, maybe Shanahan doesn't trust him, right? Like that is so far from the truth. Yeah, I think a big lead, I think, if anything, from the Super Bowl, it's not that he doesn't trust his quarterbacks, but it's, you know, I'm not going to force a turnover or risk a right. turnover. It, you know, if I've got big leads, I'm going to run the ball. I'm going to keep running the ball. I'm not going to do what right. happened in the Super Bowl. I was going to say, a lesson I think he learned from the 28-3 to lead against New England when he was a coordinator for Atlanta. And, and I think he knows how to close it out. And he's, you know, and believe me, in professional sports and football in particular, there is nothing more demoralizing that will take your heart out of you than a team that lines up. You know they're going to run the football, and they impose their will. That that offensive line comes off the ball and knocks you backwards, and that is a helpless feeling. Um, you know, you can you can cover up a lot of things. You can um, you know dial up blitzes and create pressures if you know a team is going to throw. Um, but if they're able to get into down and distances where they're not afraid to run at any time and run successfully. 
that is a nightmare. That is a nightmare for any defense and any defensive coordinator. Uh, and, and clearly they have the ability to do that. So, uh, but, but, but if Kansas City is successful and commits too many resources to the run game, watch out for Garoppolo, who, who I think is, is sort of, I mean, there's a reason he's taken, you know, a, a back seat in terms of, of the attention and publicity to Mahomes, who, you know, all he did was throw 50 touchdowns last year and won the MVP. And then this year he found his team down, what was it, uh, 24 to nothing? Or something like twenty eight to nothing, whatever. Twenty four nothing, and then it was twenty eight twenty four by the half, and and had the lead by halftime. I mean, he he's done some things that are just not, you know, you're not used to seeing, not only at his age but in football in general, and so naturally he's going to command a lot of the attention between the two quarterbacks. But yeah, I I think Garoppolo um, is capable of, of of winning any way any way you want them to win. So um, yeah, that that was a Sort of an interesting story in an exchange that um, that Shanahan had with the media and trying to explain, you know, kind of how they built this thing. And two, there was there was a, a belief at the time you have to go back, you know, in your way back machine. But Kyle Shanahan had a real good relationship with Kirk Cousins, who was the quarterback with the Redskins, right? That they franchised two years in a row there, and Kirk Cousins was going to become a free agent that year. So when the you know. I think the plan was, or at least the expectation was, that Shanahan would wind up signing, um, you know, signing Kirk Cousins, and that would be their veteran quarterback. And and what happened was Cousins got offered eighty four million dollars guaranteed by the Vikings and said, "Well, hell, I have to go where the money is." Uh, and as as much as Shanahan liked them, they weren't willing to pay him that kind of money. So uh, I thought they did the next best thing. I think the singular best move, in addition to drafting like five either drafting or acquiring five or six guys on the defensive line that were first-round picks, that trade for Garoppolo is the one that John Lynch can hang his resume on. You know, mm-hmm. I, I mean, Garoppolo's record is outstanding, one-loss yep. record. And I know a lot of people are like, well, don't look at the one loss. But, hey, you know, I want the guy that wins uh, if everything is the same. Well, and even the Garoppolo injury helped them. It's the fact that absolutely know, ended up did. getting the second overall draft pick last season and got Bosa. You know, right. they, they don't get him on the defensive line if if they didn't have a bad season last year because Garoppolo was hurt. Yeah, they took advantage of that, and and you, they would not want to relive four and twelve again. But in no. some ways, it made their team stronger, and it certainly made it stronger with Bosa. The same way the Colts um, got uh, Andrew Luck, as you know, Peyton Manning got correct. hurt, and you know, so they end up, you know, they had Peyton Manning as their quarterback. He's out for the season. They play poor football, and they get the top pick, and Andrew Luck number goes. one overall pick. Two generational quarterbacks following each other back to back, which is just just remarkable. So yeah, they definitely benefited from that. But you know, you talk about some some tough times, and when you're John Lynch and you take over this thing, and you know people are hammering you because you're the guy that came out of the broadcast booth, and you know uh, first time GM with a first time head coach, and you lose your first nine games. <laughs> yeah, it got a little weird out there on the West Coast. The media was after those guys, and then they go four and twelve. Uh, and then there were stories about how, you know, maybe there was a distrust building between Lynch and Shanahan. And um, I, I, I'll talk more about this uh, as the week goes on, but I had an opportunity to, to have lunch with John, and, and really his whole front office was there. And uh, we kind of laughed about that. And John was like, you know, I, ha- I got to the point where I just had to stop reading stuff, you know, get off social media. He goes, it really never affected our relationship. He goes, but there was – you know, this, this false narrative. And, and he goes, really, the reason why we're here is that 
Kyle and I, you know, sort of buried our egos and we, he goes, you know, we had to have each other's back, um, because it was, it was pretty lonely there for a while. Um, but here they are just, you know, three years, remarkable turnaround to be in the Super Bowl, And, um, you know, and I think, look, I, I think Kansas city may be favored in this game. I, I'll give you my predictions later in the week, but I'll just say this. I, I don't know that Kansas city is ready for the type of defense they're going to find, uh, on Sunday. I, I think it's very difficult. There's, it's hard enough to execute with the emotions and, and the hype and, you know, sort of the, the atmosphere, especially early in the games. It's a hell of a lot easier to play defense in that scenario than it is offense. Um, and for that reason, you know, sometimes you'll see turnovers early on. But I think, I think this 49ers defense is going to be ready to go. And I also think that they've done a good job of finding ways to win games. Now, you know, Kansas City's never out of it, right? So um, no matter what happens early in the game, you know, Kyle Shanahan's going to be remembering Atlanta and saying, okay, these guys, these guys over here, they can score in a hurry. Mm-hmm. And he'll keep his foot on the gas and, and, you know, if they're successful running the ball, try to shorten the game and stuff. So one of we'll the preview. one of the interesting matchups, though, and, and I agree with you on the, the, the San Francisco defense, but I believe they play zone defense 64% of the time this season. Mm-hmm. Mahomes carves up zones. He does, but you got, but you know, it's a tough thing to do because mm-hmm. you really do have to pick your poison. I mean, mm-hmm. um, the good thing about zone, if you're the 49er, now they play zone, but they play behind, they play behind four guys who can get to the quarterback well, without the, and, without having to blitz. Right. And that's the so, key is can they get there without yeah, blitzing? If you, if you don't have to bring extra people, just do the math, right? So you're rushing four, which means that you're dropping eight to cover five, right? So you got the numbers in your in your advantage, and if they run the football, uh, you can bring a guy down. You can do some certain things in the run game, uh, especially with that front four and how active they are in the pass rush. So, and, and I I hear you, and and Mahomes does carve people up because if you give him three yards or two yards of separation, he's he's so damn good and so accurate, and he extends plays that you don't have a chance. By the same token, do you really want to be man to man on Tyreek Hill all day? You know, I mean, they've got speed, you know, um, like you can't imagine. And it's at the tight end position, it's at the wide receiver position. It's you know, um, they're just loaded with with explosion. And so, you know, the yards after the catch, right, is the thing with the Kansas City Chiefs. You miss one tackle when you're playing man to man, and then it's then it's a foot race to the end zone, and that's how they get all those sixty yard plays. And I, I think that's what you want to guard against, too, if you're the 49ers. The 49ers have to be who they are. Uh, you know, the thing they, they I'm telling you, they remind me of the Bucks when the Bucks were really humming, that it didn't seem to matter who they played, right? Um, you had to deal with them. You know, so many times you get these offenses and the schematics and, you know, this guy does this and, you know, how are we going to stop the, you know, the down the field or – uh, you know certain aspects, but but let me tell you, uh, I I think that the Forty ers are are just so locked in defensively uh, that if they play their game, um, you're going to have a long day. That's that's just sort of the way they've been all year. That if the way they fly around and 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 you know the violence they play with and that that front four and really it's it's five or six guys in the rotation. Uh, they're a handful, and they're a handful when you feel them on the grass, and you will feel them from the first snap until the last. These guys do not stop coming. And so I, I think it's going to be really interesting to see how Kansas City counters that. 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. All right, the Tampa Bay Lightning will play the LA Kings, and that's where we find Diana Neros, who joins us now. Diana, they're coming off the All-Star break, and of course uh, we can start, I guess, uh, with the All-Star game. Um, only two All-Stars for the Lightning this year, Andre Vasilevsky, who played well the first time he was out, not so well the next time, and then, of course, Victor Hedman. Um, any takeaways uh, from that game or from their performances in general? To be perfectly honest, I'm not a huge believer in the All-Star game being ad- indicative of a uh, regular play. No, I get that. Um, I get that. <laughs> I'm I'm not a huge all-star game believer. I think skills competitions, whichever sport it is, are a lot of fun. All-star games yeah. less so. Um, but, you know, it, it is always fun to see what players can do when paired with other stars. I mean, granted, Victor Hedman plays with a couple flashy forwards on the Lightning, but still sticking mm-hmm. with a couple different flashy forwards and what does it look like? That's the fun of an all-star game. And so it was you know great to see right. what they could do in those scenarios. It was a, uh, both of their third appearances, um, and Vasilevsky's now the first Lightning goalie to have been to three All-Star games, so that's pretty cool for him. Um, especially the last two have been as a replacement for first Carey Price last year and Tuka Rask this year. And when the rosters came out, you know, there was, a, oh, no, Vasilevsky. Well, yeah, he's not really playing as great this year. And then by the time he, you know, Rask decided not to play and they're looking for a replacement, it was an obvious in for Vasilevsky so it was a uh, you know just uh, kind of obvious of or a sign of how much he's picked up his game just even over the few weeks between month I think between um, announcement and replacement <laughs> exactly surprised at all and we'll get off this all-star thing because you're right it's not real hockey it's it's an exhibition but surprised at all that there weren't more than two lightning players not really there always could be more Lightning players. The Lightning have a lot of really good hockey players. Mm. You look at Steven Stamkos and Nikita Kucherov as the two that you know kind of right. feel like they could be automatics. But especially at the time the selections were made, neither was having this great statistical season. And even right. still now, they're not standing out at the top of the leaderboards. And given the way mm. that the teams are done, that they're by division with at least one player from every team selected you can't have multiple players from every team. Um, the way it works now that before the last man in vote and replacement, you know, changes made for injuries or guys who don't want to play. I think it's, if I have the math right on the top of my head, it, within a division, only two teams can have multiple players um, mm-hmm. just because that's the way the numbers work. So, you know, you look at within the Atlantic, it's usually between the Bruins the Maple Leafs and the Lightning for who's going to have multiple players and who's having good years and who was having the, you know, standing out at the time when the selections were made and the Lightning just weren't necessarily at the top of the list. There was an argument to be made, but not in the way that you could be like, oh, they got totally disrespected and should have been on there by any means. Uh, Certainly the numbers catch up to them there. 
Okay, so uh, the Lightning have the All-Star break. Uh, they're getting a little healthy. We can talk about that in a minute. But, you know, they're on this 12-2 and run, one run uh, during this stretch. So did this, did this break come at a good time in that several guys are back? Or did it, does it slow the momentum that they had going into the All-Star break? It's some of both. In some ways, there's no bad time for a break because hockey's tough on the body. Uh, and other times they were really rolling and, uh, you know, why stop us now? Um, Alex Kalorn said, you know, that in the situation they might've liked to keep playing and Tyler Johnson pointed out, you know, guys were banged up and needed the rest. So it's really both, both are true. Mm -hmm. Um, and Monday night's loss to Dallas was an argument for it being poorly timed and that they lost their, uh, their flow, so to speak, but. That was only one game, so I want to see a couple more before I come down hard on that stance. Because they played 13 games in 21 days. That's a lot of hockey mm. in a short period of time. You just look at uh, Pat Maroon, for example. So he took an inadvertent elbow to the face, left a game early, came back the next game, and slid hard into the wall shoulder first. Missed the next three, and came back just the last game before the break. I mean, that's just one player, but that's a lot of... <laughs> it was a lot that happened in the week before the break. So I'm sure he was one guy who was like, okay, thank you. I need this. Let's go. Uh, Cedric Paquette took a blocked a big shot in that last game before the break, left the game early, didn't end up missing a game because he had a week off. So there's really no bad time for a break because there are always guys who need that rest and for whom that's extremely helpful. What it does to the overall team you know, the run they were on, we'll have to kind of see what happens with that. Of the guys who had uh, missed some games, uh, who among them do you think will help them the most that are back now healthy and, and hopefully contributing? Well, Ryan McDonough had missed six or seven um, after taking a hard elbow to the head um, back in Ottawa earlier, early in January. And so he came back the last two games before the break, and he's just such mm -hmm. an impact player on their back end. You know, we talked about him a little more last year than we have this year, but he's just that steadfast defensive defenseman who really locks things down back there, you know, plays the major penalty, penalty kill time, takes some of the, the work away from Victor Hedman in a good way that it's not all on Hedman, number one defenseman, the way it has been for a couple of years um, before they got McDonough. So I think his return um, is definitely a, a good thing for the Lightning. Absolutely. And yet, uh, of course, when they uh, came back from the All-Star break, they have the game at Dallas. It goes to overtime. And you mentioned at the start of this uh, podcast that some of the problems that they saw earlier in the year cropped up again, right? Some some chancy passes, some things that ended up in the back of the net. Um, just uh, what what does John Cooper say about that? What are the players? Because I, I know they've worked hard to sort of eliminate that from their game, and yet it still seems to be an occasional thing. So I liked uh, Braden Point kind of took some onus for that. He was by far not the only one. But he was the one who committed the turnover that led to the overtime goal. So that's becomes the highlighted one. Um, and he right. said, you know, he made a play he shouldn't have trying to chip it out into the middle and could have sprung a two on one. And that could have been the game. But 
it was a risky play. It backfired because Jamie Ben knocked the puck out of the air and mm-hmm. had a two on one at point blank range. So, you know, those plays that they've all talked about getting away from and how when they were playing a, a simpler, um, safe, but not, not aggressive. There's a double negative in there. So you can still be aggressive while playing safe because you, you make the plays, you look for the chances as they fit in what you're doing rather than making big risks to be aggressive. And they fell back into that. And there were more turnovers than we've seen from the lightning in at least a month. And, you know, that was uh, Cooper's big message was just how many turnovers and odd man rushes there were compared to the last, I think he said two months of play even, Um, you know, they were overpassing, which is something we've seen repeatedly from this team. And it hasn't been their biggest issue, but again, a recurring issue. So it raises the question of, you know, this is the first game back from a break. There's some rest point actually specifically said, uh, he felt the, the mistakes were too big and went too deep into the game to just be blamed on rust. Is this where who the Lightning are and that they can play out of it to play that more disciplined game that we saw from them going into the break? But that when they kind of get a little complacent, they come back to their natural state. I don't know if that's the case. Um, we need to see some more hockey to figure that out because they played so consistently out of those issues. You know, this wasn't like, oh, they had a span of three games that they looked great. You know, we saw a 10 game win streak and uh, 12, two and one over their last 15 before the break. You know, those were some very well played games. So it's hard to say that, oh, they just played well for a few games, but they're actually this kind of team. But it's also hard to say, oh, they're this great team that just has bad games when they keep happening. So they have to figure that out of which kind of team they are. And that's going to really dictate how successful this regular season, but even more so this postseason becomes. Yeah, you know, it's, it's interesting because we're at, I think, game 50 tonight against um, the L.A. Kings. And they, they're on this West Coast. You start after the All-Star break, you know, a part of this road trip, you're on this West Coast swing not necessarily against great teams in the standings. Um, is this a good thing or a bad thing? I mean, do teams typically care whether they have a homestand versus versus uh, what is usually, uh, you know, for a team from Tampa, a pretty arduous uh, trip to go uh, all the way to California? Well, especially when you consider that they finished before the break uh, in St. Paul and Winnipeg. So they were already halfway across the continent. Then they dispersed and went where they went for the break and then came back halfway across the continent to Dallas and continued to the far co- you know, west coast here. So, yeah, it's mm-hmm. been a lot of travel. Uh, Victor Hedman said he thinks he's home one night out of three weeks between, you know, some of it was fun traveling for the break. But he also went yeah. to the All-Star game and then all the team travel. So all of that yeah. adds up. Um, John Cooper quipped that, you know, check in with him at the end of the road trip. If they win more than they lose, he might say he's a fan of being on the road coming out of the break. <laughs> so, you know, nobody really looks forward to the West Coast trip. Um, mm. It's hard on, on all of the many East Coast teams. Uh, it coming out of a break doesn't make it any easier. Adding in Dallas so it becomes four games in a week doesn't make it any easier. But... Is this a huge, you know, difficulty that's so hard to overcome? I don't know. They make these trips every year. They're all 
whether it's your favorite trip or not, you know, it's a recurring thing that you know how to do it. So, um, Mm -hmm. it's not great, but it's not a huge issue, I'd say. Well, and, you know, you mentioned Hedman. Of course, Vasilevsky didn't have much of a break either because he was in the All-Star game. The one thing uh, about this hockey team, it's unmistakable, you know, as great as as Vasi has been, he wasn't nearly as sharp at the start of the year. But going into this stretch when they had their their winning streak, of course, he has been the goaltender, right, the best in the planet that uh, we all remember from a year ago. Um, So what what did you – was there any perceptible – difference in in sort of how he approached things how he was playing uh, going into the all-star break or, or was it just sort of a return to that guy that that saw everything really well and 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 was able to make the spectacular save along with the routine ones it's some of a bunch of things which i guess is most often the case some mm-hmm. of it was just kind of him getting a little fed up with the way he was playing and finding a way out of it you know, I know it's cliche to say, but uh, with him even more than most, he is his biggest critic. He knew mm. he was not playing well enough and was not happy with it. Um, you know, so some of it's just him saying, I'm busting out of this, this what he called average play, and I'm going to be better and find a way to get around it. Um, it helped that him getting better made the team better but also the team being better enables him you know there was it kind of goes both ways there so you know they each helped each other uh improve and then it goes back to again it's a little bit cliche but it's also a true thing of the confidence of feeling like he has his game back feeling confident in himself and how he's playing not just to know oh i can do that so i can get there but i am doing that so i can keep doing it makes him easier to maintain and even you know it's it's unfortunate that that loss on monday in dallas breaks his 10 game win streak he was going for right. 11 to tie louis domingue who set the team individual win record last year and he had a great game and they just didn't get the win um so it's unfortunate that that's where that ended but it is you know indicative of the kind of player he is that he played a great game he gave them a chance to win he gave them a better chance to win than the rest of the team played and well enough to have and that's what Vasilevsky does and that's why uh it's so great for the lightning to see him back in that form yeah, and, and and obviously that uh, gives him a lot of confidence offensively too. That to know that he's playing at that level again. Of course, your best penalty kill guy is your goaltender, and we've seen after what was a, a rough start in October, uh, that's been a big part of their success. Right? They they've really improved that aspect of it. But it's got to be more than just him, right? Oh, definitely. It's what we saw in the overall defensive team play um Mm. stressing that it wasn't just defensemen in that stretch going into the break is also what we've been seeing on the penalty kill and Mm. some of it is simple as buying into the system and playing it consistently and where you saw the breakdowns were where somebody freelanced a bit left the system tried to do something else and then that created a pocket somewhere else that that teams were able to exploit And so just this whole unit coming together and, you know, they've got players who 
want to be on the penalty kill. It's not a glamorous spot, but there's some pride in just being that kind of team. And they're they're playing like that right now. They're playing like a team that wants to be really good on the penalty kill. It takes a little more intention and less glory than being good on the power play. And, you know, from November on, you know, we've only seen them slowly creep up the overall standings because October was just so bad. But if you mm. look at just from November 1st to now, they are one of, if not the top team. I haven't actually done it since the break. I did it going into the break, and they were number one in the league from November 1 to January 18th. Um, I haven't redone it for 28th, but I can't imagine they've slipped much because they weren't playing to to slip at all. So, um, you know, and even against Dallas, that was a bad game, but the penalty kill was good. Uh, they got tested early as both teams committed. I think they combined for five penalties in the first period as they got their legs back under them, and the kill was strong. It's been a, a huge strength for the Lightning. Um, since they've figured that out and, you know, that's, if you can kill off one more penalty a game, that's one fewer goal you're giving up a game, which is putting your team in a better chance to win every time. Absolutely. And I mean, when you go 12, two and one, um, you're obviously going to move up in the standings as they did. And that's an awful lot of points in a short time, especially, uh, well, like you mentioned the, the 13 games in what, 20, 21 days, um, but you know now we're we're past this sort of this we're at this fifty game mark right there's certain mileposts the all star game is behind them um do do the lightning sort of i guess what's the perception of them and where they stand amongst the other top teams right now in other words uh you know we 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 we're kind of close to them in Tampa Bay, but when you get outside of of this area and, 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 and you look at other teams and the skill that they have as well, has, has the NHL sort of caught up to that skill uh, that, that they had last year where they just dominated everybody in the regular season or um, are, are we, is everybody very leery of them, um, you know, making this run and becoming, you know, the top team that everybody thought they could be when they, when they enter the playoffs? Well, I'd say, You've got a lot of people who are like, okay, the Lightning are back. You know, right. whether or not That's they can what explain I hear what happened shows. early, yeah. but the Lightning are yeah. back. But there right. is also a contingent that's still skeptical, not just because of how they started this year, but because of how they ended last year. And there's Finished a little last bit of, year. you got to prove it. Yeah. And they can't yep. prove it until April. You cannot prove you can play in the postseason <laughs> in the regular season. It just doesn't work that yep. way. So yep. there, there is a definitely, there are people who are still a little skeptical of the lightning and want to see what they can do when they get there. And you just can't mm. change those people's minds until you get there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're kind of, I mean, that's what this whole season has been about, right? Until you get back to the point of the playoffs and you can do something in the playoffs, certainly not get swept in the first round like you did against Columbus. That's what everybody's waiting for. And that, that's what I think has made this season so tough for them in that no matter what they did, naturally you got to get in the tournament for it to, to matter. Um, but no matter what they did this year during the regular season, it was always the yeah, but, right? I mean, that's that's sort of where we're going to be with this team. It really is. And, you know, that's part of why they're trying to change something. Um, mm-hmm. They are not trying – they're trying – they are intentionally not skating on what happened last year. 
um, and just saying, you know, hey, we're a great team. We can just get back there and do something different. They, the coaches spent the offseason looking at what they needed to do differently, and they are trying to to make those changes. And it's not a complete overhaul, as we've said before. It's, it's more of the tweaks um, than an overhaul. But it is still making some changes to try to be the kind of team that wins in the playoffs rather than focusing on just we're skilled, we're really good, we can win a bunch of games. Exactly right. Well, you're in L.A. I know you just arrived as we do this podcast, so not much time to get out and about, but certainly uh, the, you know, the big story in sports and, and really nationally um, was the tragic uh, death of Kobe Bryant in the helicopter crash not far from where you're at um, you know, in Calabasas. And, of course, this will be the first uh, game uh, at Staples Center since Kobe Bryant's death, I'm curious, just sort of, um, I mean, there's, there's, you know, I know it's not the, an NBA game, which they, which they had canceled, but there, there is, and this is it. I mean, this was his house, right? His, his, his jerseys and the Raptors and the whole thing. So there will be, uh, I imagine, um, some, some heavy hearts even among the Kings fans when they walk back in that building. Definitely. I mean, Dallas had a, small video tribute and a moment of silence Monday night. Right. So you know, the Kings mm-hmm. are going to, are going to do something. Sure. I don't know what they have planned. Um, I am, um, I'm looking forward to heading over there and kind of walking around the exterior of the Staples center and just kind of right. watching the scene a little bit and, um, just seeing what, you know, we've been reading about it. We've been hearing, We've seen video yeah. and photos and everything, but I'm here in person. And, um, yeah. you know, it's not something I've had a chance to do yet, but I plan to kind of, kind of, um, I guess, walk around the Staples Center and see what it looks like. And I'm, I'm, I'm interested to see what the, the vibe is like um, before the game. Because, again, as you said, this is an NHL game, not an NBA game. But it's still at the Staples Center. It's still the first thing there. Um, just right. walking the streets of L.A. today, I walked three blocks to get uh to my hotel and um you know saw jerseys just people walking around in their eight and 24 Mm. jerseys so that was you know Mm. me very minimally out in la and it was um you know right there in a parent so it'll be interesting to see what the atmosphere is over at the staples center you know i've always thought it's interesting i'm I'm at the super bowl and of course there's a lot of talk it was um you know, of course, it happened the night that these teams arrived on Sunday, and they were just getting the news actually as they were landing, and some of them waking up from long naps or whatnot. Um, but professional athletes follow other professional athletes, right? Especially the, the at the pinnacle uh, when you're talking about a Kobe Bryant. Uh, you know, everybody knew who Wayne Gretzky is, right? Or was, and 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 so I, I'm I'm guessing, and I know there's a lot of foreign-born players, but basketball is the NBA is big. It's and Kobe was a worldwide figure. I'm guessing that there are athletes in the NHL that, uh, and, and particularly in LA, of course, uh, that really uh, drew inspiration from this guy and really, um, you know, admired him even from afar. Even if it's not the same sport, right? He's still somebody that uh, that they would draw some sort of inspiration from. Yeah, I mean, he's a master, was a master on the court, and every every athlete um, admires the other athletes who can achieve that, that level, mm-hmm. um, whichever it is, you know, he was a, a great scorer and um, 
it's different, but you know, the, the scores in hockey who can just respect what it takes to, to achieve that level of success, um, in another sport there, there's definitely, I mean, we've seen it across all sports just this week. Um, the respect that, that is, um, the crosses between those sports, uh, for those elite players that way. Absolutely. All right, so the Lightning back off their all-star break. They'll play the LA Kings tonight, and you can read all about it on TampaBay.com and in the Tampa Bay Times from Diana Neros. Thanks, Diana. We appreciate it. Always happy to be on here. All right, so I'm still in Miami. We'll be all week, and I'll have a chance to uh, actually sit down with Rob Higgins. Of course, uh, big Super Bowl 55 coming to Tampa. There's already a big presence here about that as they uh, get ready for that, that game. Folks, the Super Bowl has changed so dramatically even since the last time Tampa Bay had a game, I think you're going to be surprised at just all the events and all the things they do. And, um, you know, even even the opening night, you know, is different, which used to be media day. Uh, I'm sure they'll have one, you know, in Tampa with that. So we'll have a chance to do that and uh, more fun and games down here in Miami. So for Steve Ersnick, I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times. Have a great day, everybody. 